Christ alone, my hope is found, and He is my light, my strength, my soul, His cornerstone, His solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm, but heights of love or depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, thy comforter, thy all and all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Lord, He took on flesh, full of God in helpless fear, His gifts of love and righteousness, sown by the ones He came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. On him was made Here in the death of Christ I live In the ground Of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth on a glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. His blood of pride. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me From life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny No power of hell, no scheme of man Can ever plug me from his head To or cause me Just played, and so one of the neat things is I get to come to the first service too, 
and I know that we are singing it at the end of the service. We'll sing a, a part of it anyway, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I might just go ahead and just not preach, and we'll just go ahead and start singing that song again. That's a great song. Uh, there's a guy named Ron Otto who wrote this funny story about his scuba diving experience, and he said when he went scuba diving, uh, he was having the, the instructor tell them how to do it, and so he was listening to him, and he had this thought. He said, you know, I know there's sharks out there, he said, now we have these diving knives. He said, if we see a shark and it's coming towards us, he said, should I try to stab it? And then the instructor just kind of laughed. He said, whatever you do, he said, don't do that. He said, if you do that, he said, the shark sees you coming at him and you have a knife in your hand, it's going to really make him angry. And so another smile came across his face. He said, I'll tell you what you should do. He said, find your swim buddy, stab him, and swim away as fast as you can. Now, that's really good advice on how to survive. I don't know if it's really all that good of advice on how to develop deeper, stronger relationships and friendships. Now, if that is uh, kind of where you are, then we might need to talk a little bit more about, you know, how do we uh, move beyond, you know, just scratching the surface, you know, of your relationships. And I, I really think, though, that many of us in our friendships, that we kind of struggle in that area. And I know that some of us, we have some good friends but many times those relationships are not real deep. Uh, they just don't go down very far. And uh, I know this because of Facebook. You know, I get on Facebook, and I, I'm, I'm not a stalker, you know, not yet. But I'll get on there, and I see some of y'all, and, you know, it's incredible. Some of y'all have a thousand friends. And then I see, you know, how you develop these friendships and relationships on Facebook. I mean, you go to restaurants, and you take pictures of of the food that you eat, and then you post it on there as if anybody cares, you know, and so you, know, you post on, this is what I ate today for dinner, or uh, you, you go on there and you begin to invite people to play Farmville or Candy Crush. If you ever accept that, I'm embarrassed for you. Now, if you think that's what friendship is about, if that's kind of the goal and how, how deep they go, then your friendships are lacking a little bit. And one of the neat things, though, is that we are continuing our series, Live Like You Were Dying. And, of course, it's from the Tim McGraw song. And one of the things that he talks about in the song is that we need to understand that we don't have forever. And so we want to make the most out of our lives. And one of the areas that he touches on today is friendship. Uh, he talks about friendship at the very end of the song. He says, I became a friend a friend would like to have. And I think all of us would say that, you know, I'd like to be a friend that a friend would like to have, or I'd like to have friends that I'd like to have. But what exactly does that mean? And, and not from a song, but what does the Bible have to say about biblical friendship? And I think what we're going to see is that biblical friendship goes a little bit deeper than being Facebook friends. You know, it goes a little bit deeper than watching games with our friends. And it's not that there's anything wrong with those things, but friendship is about supporting one another. It's about loving each other. It's about caring for each other. It's about building each other up. And the Bible speaks of deep relationship and friendship and the power of it in Proverbs 27, 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so we're just going to look today and see what, what does it mean to have biblical friendships? What does that entail? And if you have your Bible, we're going to look in Acts chapter 11, 
verse number 19. And so if you'd like to turn there, you can at this time. Uh, just a little bit of background information. What's going on here is that the Christians in Jerusalem had, at this time, basically been run out of town. And there's persecution that was coming towards them because they were followers of Jesus. Uh, the religious leaders of the day, strangely enough, were the ones who were persecuting the Christians. And uh, in, the, in the preceding verses, preceding part of our book that we're looking at today, one of the very first deacons, leaders of the church, a guy named Stephen, had been martyred. He'd been executed because of his faith. And so the Christians, they, they got out of Dodge. I mean, they had to leave for, for fear of being persecuted. And our text today says that they escaped to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So they're on the run. And after their experience, you would think that for a lot of the Christians, that they'd say, you know, we better, we better lie low right now. You know, we, we don't want to do anything that would be crazy. We don't, want, we don't want to stand out from everybody else. And some of them might say, you know, we might not even want to practice our faith anymore. I mean, look where it got us. It just simply gets us into trouble. And yet what we're going to see in the book of Acts is these people begin to go into these different places one of the first things they did, they started talking about Jesus again. Now guys, if you want to see what true friendship and relationship is about, you're going to see it from these people that we look at today. And we're going to take a look at just some basic things about biblical friendship. And one of the very first things about biblical friendship is that it's about sharing Jesus. Real friendship is going to involve you sharing Jesus with your friends. Now he said, that makes me a little bit nervous. I don't really like hearing that. Well, bear with me. Let's just see what the Bible says today. And so look in verse number 19. It says, and this is speaking of the Christians. It says, those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, Cypriot and Cyrenian men, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists, those who were not Jewish people, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Now every once in a while, I kind of, I'll joke around and I say, hey, what are, what are friends for if you can't use them, you know? And so I'm kidding if you ever hear me say that. I'm just joking. But, you know, I mean, we think of friendships. I mean, there's some good things that you can get out of friendships. So what, what are friends for if you can't use them? But friendship's not really about that. I mean, it's not about seeing what you can get out of other people. It's about what can you give? What can you share with other people? Now, the people during this day were very similar to people like us. I mean, people are people. And they had sort of like a quid pro quo relationship thing going on here. You, know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You do something for me, then I'm going to do something for you. And that's sort of how many people define friendship. For what can others give to me? But that's not friendship. You know, friendship is about what you give to other people. How you can encourage them and better their lives. The Christians in our text, remember, they're basically refugees right here. They're not real popular. Nobody likes newcomers. But what I see is that as they move into these areas, instead of lying low, one thing they wanted to do is they wanted to share. Now, what did they want to share? They wanted to share Jesus with the people around them. Why? Because when Jesus touches your life, 
He changes you. You, and I've said this over and over again, you cannot come into contact with Jesus and be the same person. Jesus changes everything about you. Now, what does he change about us? He gives us freedom. He provides us with forgiveness. He gives us hope. He gives us a future. And whenever we are receiving those things, it it excites us, and we want to share that news. Uh, The Bible says when God touches us, he gives us a new heart. Ezekiel 26, 36 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I'll remove your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. When you look at God and who He is, God has a heart for people, which is mind-blowing to me. Do you understand this? God really does love you. God loves you. You know why Jesus came here? Jesus came here. Of course, he came here. He died on the cross for us, and he rose from the grave. But why? Because he loves you. Because he wants you to have freedom. He wants you to have life in him. And whenever we're touched by God, it changes us. The people in our text, they've been touched by God, so what do they want to do? They wanted to, be, they wanted to be real friends to other people and share Jesus In a little bit, we're going to talk about a guy named Saul in our text. He was a man whose heart had been changed by God. He used to go out trying to eradicate the world of Christianity. He persecuted people. He comes into contact with Jesus. What happens? He becomes a totally different guy. And he wants to tell everybody about Jesus. As a matter of fact, we are told about him, or he says about himself in 1 Corinthians 9.19, He said, and this is after his walk with God, as he comes into contact with Jesus, he says, for although I am free from all people, I have made myself a slave to all. Why? In order to win more people. His heart had been changed. He went on the war path to rid the world of Christians. He was now on the war path to say, I want y'all to know Jesus. That is the example of a good friend, a real friend. That's what the Christians in our text are doing. Christians, if we are going to be friends, the greatest thing that we're going to do is we're going to share Jesus. We're going to show Jesus with people that we love, that we care about, that we know. Why? Because he changes us. And we want them to be changed. Now, some of us get nervous about that. So I don't want to be weird. You know, I want people to think I'm strange because I'm talking about Jesus. But you know what, if, if you have good news, it is just simply natural for you to want to share good news. Jesus is good news. He's good news for you. It's natural to share good news. Now, those of you who are parents, you know this. And I know that you all, for those of you who are parents, you all remember when your children were born, right? I mean, hopefully, maybe some of you ladies didn't because you're knocked out. But guys, we suffered, and we remember. And we know what it was like. And after your child was born, what's, what's, what do you want to do with that information? Man, you want to tell people. I mean, our, kid, well, our kids were not born at the most convenient times. They're born like, it always seems like they always come early in the morning or late at night. Our first one was born at 1.30 in the morning. Do you think that I waited until the next morning to call our, our parents to tell them that we had a kid? No way. It was good news. I called, woke them up. said, you're grandparents now. I was excited about it. I mean, how strange would it be for me not to share that news? Our first kid was born in September. Can you imagine if we didn't say anything and we just showed up at Thanksgiving with a kid? I mean, my parents were like, hey, what's up with that? I was like, well, you know, Emily, she, she, had a, she carried that baby around for 12 months. It was amazing. Now, no, when you get news like that, you tell people about it. 
you're excited about it. When it comes to Jesus, when we get news about Jesus, it's the best news of all time. And we want to share it. And not just with our friends. We want to share with anybody. Again, parents, when you had kids, I mean, especially your first one, you're so excited. You're talking to strangers, pulling out your wallet, saying, look at this baby. You want to share the news. That's how it's to be for us with Jesus. And sometimes we're nervous about doing that because we don't want people to think that we're strange. But to not tell someone the greatest news that there is is tragic. You want to be a friend? You share the best news that there is. Now what does biblical friendship look like? Well, it starts off with sharing Jesus. So what else does biblical friendship look like? Well, it looks like unity. It's like unity in Christ. That's what friendship is about. If you look with me in verses 22 and 23, it says, Then the report about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. Now, some really interesting things started happening. These people, they, they move, the Christians move into this new area, they begin to, to share, and as they share, there are people who are persuaded by the message. And the people who are persuaded are non-Jewish people. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? You have to remember that almost from the beginning, God told, he chose the Hebrew people to be a light for him. He said, I want you to be separate from everybody else. I want you to dress different. I want you to eat different. I want you to worship different. You are separate. Okay, so they separate themselves from everybody else in the world, and they're still doing this, and then they begin to tell people about Jesus, and then people they're supposed to be separated from say, we want some of that. We like this message about Jesus, and so they become followers of God. And so some of the people who were Jewish Christians were like, whoa, what are all these outsiders doing kind of joining our club here? And they, they began to wonder, well, what are we supposed to do? And you have to remember, it's ingrained in them to be separated from everybody else. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, verse 6, Moses said, for you are a holy people belonging to the Lord our God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. Be different. Now, what's, what's the story behind that? Well, Isaiah 49, 6 gives us the answer. It says, I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. God chose the Hebrew people to be set apart. Now, he didn't do so because they were better than everybody else, because they're smarter than everybody else. Uh, you just read the Bible, and you'll see these people were just as screwed up as we are. A messed up group of people. They weren't better than us, but God chose them to be an advertisement for himself. He said, I have chosen you to live for me. So when the world sees you, they're going to see God. And they're going to see that, you know what, we need God as well. And that's what began to happen. People began to say, we want some of that Jesus guy. And Peter said in 1 Peter 2.9, he said, for those who become followers of Jesus, he says, you are a chosen people. You are a priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you not received mercy, but now 
you have received mercy. That's what Jesus does. One of the neatest things. Jesus takes a bunch of people who are different, and he unifies us in him. Galatians 3.28 says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Guys, we've got to be reminded of this over and over again. Have y'all noticed that we live in a very uh, polarized nation? That we live in a crazy world? It is very divisive today. I mean, I, I remember during the election times, I would watch, because I like to be, you know, a guy that sees both sides of the issue. I want to know what's, what both sides are saying. And so I'd watch, like, I'd watch MSNBC News, and then I'd watch Fox News. And they'd be talking about the same thing, and they'd be, like, diametrically opposed. And I'm like, well, how did they get there? And I, you know, it's just strange. And so it's like, it's like competing worldviews and cultures are clashing against each other. And it's, it's spilled over into just the general populace. I mean, we are a very polarized group of people in, 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 in politics and in issues and agendas. And here's what concerns me. Now, y'all, I can tell you, my, I mean, it probably didn't take you a, a genius to figure out what, where I am politically. But here is... Here's where trouble is for us, I believe. I believe there's many of us as Christians. And man, we get all fired up and buy into agendas and issues, and we become soldiers for agendas and, agendas and issues and political parties, but not for Jesus. Ah, that, that's concerning. You see, as believers... We are, you know, if you want to see the power of God move, you will see it whenever we begin to stand up and become soldiers and unified in the power of Jesus. In verse 23, all this stuff's going on. New people are becoming followers of God. And so the church says, we've got to find out what's going on here. Verse 23, they send a guy named Barnabas to check out what's going on. He goes there. You know what he finds? He doesn't find the Jews and Gentiles fighting with each other because they don't agree on everything. He doesn't find them arguing. What he says in verse 23 is the grace of God was there. These two different groups of people were unified in the power of their God. They were not going to allow anything to take precedence over the unity that they found in Jesus. They didn't allow agendas and issues to be number one in their lives. They said Jesus will be number one in our lives. And guys, when Jesus is number one in who we are and what we follow and what we do, I promise you on the important stuff, we are going to be on the right issues. We're going to stand behind the right things. People in our text, they found unity. They were different. They found unity. Now, when I talk about us being unified in Christ, it doesn't mean that we're going to agree on everything. I mean, people in our we don't even agree on everything in our homes. I mean, some of you are Clemson fans, and others of you are Gamecock fans. It doesn't mean that one group's going to heaven and the other's not, I don't think. You know? I mean, that, that's not, that's not, I mean, we can be different. There are some people who support different candidates for office. What's, what's to be the number one issue in our life? It's, it's Jesus. 
God, we have to make sure that we don't allow agendas and issues to take precedent over the God that we serve. It's one of the most powerful things about our faith. Is that whenever we are focused on Christ, there is power in numbers. As we say, we're going to follow Jesus, and we're not going to follow the world. We follow Jesus. One of the most in, intriguing plants that God's made is the sunflower. And what's it? They're called the sunflower for a reason. I mean, I get. I guess one. They kind of look like the sun, maybe, except for that like dark stuff in the middle. But they, what they do is sunflowers. They they follow the sun. And so if there's a big field of sunflowers, they will lean in the direction of the sun. And even after the sun goes down, the flower is still oriented in the direction of where the sun was. Now, I, I think that is a good picture for us. We can, we can be different in, in a lot of ways, but if our focus is upon the sun in unison, we will be unified as we keep our eyes focused on the God who made us and the God who loves us. And when we are focused and unified together, guys, we can work in force to see God do some things that can bring change in our homes and in our communities. All right, so, so what, is, what is biblical friendship about? Well, it's about sharing. It's about sharing Jesus. It's about being unified in Christ. What's, what's biblical friendship like? What's it about? It's also about encouragement. I want to read to you the final two verses for today, verses 25 and 26. It says, Then he, Barnabas, went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. When we seek Jesus, and us as a, as a group of people, if we seek Jesus, let me tell you something, it's contagious. Because God begins to work in our lives, and people begin to say, I, I want that. I, they, there's something different there. In our text, it says that there was a large number of people who began to follow after Jesus. Now, now, why is following Jesus contagious? If you look at the basic tenets of our faith, Jesus, he sums it all up for us in four simple verses. In Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus tells us, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. He says, the second's like it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so Jesus says, if you're going to be obedient to me, you're going to follow me, you're going to follow Scripture. He said, love God. Have a passion for God. And as you have a passion for God, what's going to happen is you're going to have a passion for people. You're going to love people. Do you know if we, if we actually practice those two things... Our world would be different. Can you imagine if everybody, if everybody did those two things, if we love God and love people? Everybody. We, we would not have crime. We would not have anger and bitterness. We would, we would not have homes that were broken. I mean, it would be an absolutely incredible place. So, so how can we help encourage this to happen? Well, for one, we have to live it ourselves, but we need to stand up and encourage one another as we go through life. That's a part of friendship, a part of encouraging and saying, hey, listen, let, let's look and see what the Bible says and see what the promises that God gives us. And let's just simply trust that God's going to be true to his word. Let's trust that God is going to be faithful to us. Now, that's what Barnabas did. This guy named Barnabas 
who's a Jewish guy. He wants to come find out what's going on. He comes up to a guy named Saul who used to persecute Christians. And he, he notices that he's gifted in talking to people who are not Jewish. And so they go to Antioch, which is a highly Gentile town. And he says, let's tell everybody about Jesus. And so they get the word of God. And they begin to teach people about Jesus. They develop relationships. And people become followers of God. Now what I notice is that those relationships were powerful and lives were changed because their, their relationships and their teaching was rooted in what God says. It was rooted in Scripture. And so for me, that, that's a reminder to me, the foundation of our relationships is to be God's Word. You want to be a friend worth having? You want to use your life powerfully and make it count? Root yourself in God's word. You know, we, we, don't know, we don't know how much time we have left in this life. Life is very short. James 4.14 says, You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You want your relationships to be deep? Root them in scripture. Why? Because it is an anchor. It is steady and solid. And when the winds of life blow against us, we will not be blown all over the place because we are rooted in the truth of God's word. And we can trust it. We can trust what it says is absolutely true. Now, I think there's a lot of us, and we enjoy doing different things, and we like hanging out with our friends, and all those things are fine. But they're shallow, and they're not rooted in Scripture. And so when the wind blows, it kind of destroys us. We had a friend in, our, in our, the last church where we served, and he had, a, he had a boat, and he, he went down to uh, the Caribbean in his boat. And so he said whenever he got to the bay, he was going to anchor down. So they anchored down, and he wanted to make sure that it was you know, really anchored down well. So he dove down into the water and went down to the anchor, and he made sure that it had caught. And it had, and so after that was over, he, he went back up to the boat, and he uh, got in the boat, and he said they, he and his wife went to bed that night, and said a big storm blew in. He said the boat was just kind of, you know, rocking back and forth. And he said he got the next morning, made a cup of coffee, and he went and looked out over the bow. And he said, he looked out, and he said, they're in the same spot. He said, but all the other boats around them were shoved up against the shore. And he said, the reason why is they were not anchored solidly in the ground. And there are a lot of people being blown around in life because they are not solidly anchored in God. And what his word says. We live in a world that is, I, I, is crying out for stability. You know, the, and it's really interesting. I mean, I look and I see the stuff that we used to call wrong, we now call it right. The stuff that we now call right, it used to be called wrong. And so a lot of people were confused. A lot of us are confused. Like, what's going on? We're not anchored. And believers, if we're going to be a friend that's worth having, we are to share our anchor of Jesus with those around us so that they can find stability in life. See, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is an anchor for your life. We're told in Hebrews 6, 18 and 19, so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who've taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us this hope we have as an anchor for the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. Now, whether we want to admit it or not, 
our lives are moving to a conclusion. And it's not encouraging to hear. But our life, y'all, we live and then we die. And so let's spend our lives well. And one of the ways we can spend our lives well is to be a friend that's worth having. How do we do that? We share Jesus. We unify ourselves behind Christ. Nothing else is to take precedence over that. It's Jesus. That's who we live for. That's who we serve. And then finally, we encourage one another. Let's be friends that are worth having. Guys, as we are friends that are worth having, it can change the very fabric of where we live.